0: Hi, I'm Meredith.
1: Hi, I'm Joseph, and you are listening to Are You Waiting for Permission? It's a podcast for
0: those who don't want to wait any longer. I am so excited. You're back, Joseph. It's been a couple of weeks. I have been hosting solo gleefully hosting solo but i am not as happy (laughs) when you're
1: not here i get it i hear you and i appreciate you and thank you for holding down the fort while i was gone you did an amazing job and i miss some really beautiful guests but here's the good news we have another truly amazing guest this morning. So we're both here together with our guests. So thank you for all of that, my dear.
0: We are. And I'm going to go ahead and dive in. I'm going to introduce her. And I'm excited because I've met her a couple of times. And we'll talk about that as we get in into our talk with her. So we have Adina Lichtman. Did I pronounce that right, Adina?
2: That's perfect. I mean, there's like a much harder pronunciation. <laughs> so I tell everyone just to go Lichtman. Lickman,
0: Perfect. So Adina is from West Orange, New Jersey, and is now living in the East Village of New York City. She founded Knock Knock Give a Sock, a nonprofit focused on humanizing homelessness one sock at a time. KKGS is a nonprofit that collects socks for the homeless while also building relationships between neighbors living in homes and in shelters by bringing them together for dinner. Adina has also authored two children's books on homelessness, and Adina believes these books and dinners can help humanize homelessness and change the way we interact with our neighbors on the streets. So let's uh, welcome, Adina. Mm, wow. Yay. Thank uh,
2: Ad- you guys for having me. Oh,
1: Absolutely. you're so welcome. And can I add to that, Meredith, just a little bit? Would that be okay? My goodness, Yes. Okay. So this is something that Adina wrote aside from this podcast, but I thought it was so beautiful. And my promise is that I'm going to try to get through this without crying. Okay. Okay. So this is what Adina wrote. One cold night in November, I was handing out sandwiches to people experiencing homelessness in New York City when one man approached me. It's great that you're giving out sandwiches, he said, but one thing we really need is socks, especially as winter approaches." Here I was sandwiches in hand assuming I knew the best way to help people. In reality, helping is about listening and hearing the needs of different communities. It was a powerful lesson and I wanted to put it into action. I began that night with a simple step. I went door to door in my NYU dorm room, foreign listeners, that is New York University dorm floor, and knocked on everyone's door I asked if they would donate just one pair of their own socks to someone experiencing homelessness. To my surprise, I got over 40 pairs of socks in a single night from a single floor in the dorm room. The next morning, I walked out of my room to find a huge pile of socks in front of my door from other people who had heard about what happened. It started small, but I knew it was such a simple concept that it could easily be grown. College students love to do good. But sometimes they need a literal knock on the door to do so. Almost everyone has an extra pair of socks they can donate. And that's when the initiative Knock Knock Give a Sock was created. And thank you, my dear, for creating that and listening to that call. I adore you already.
2: Thank you. Oh my gosh. I, I appreciate that. Thank you for reading that. Was it? And I know there's a funny question that I should know offhand. Was that on my website or online? That,
1: no, that was a tattoo that you had on your left thigh that I happened to see on your TikTok. <laughs> yes, that is from your website. On the <laughs> oh about my gosh.
2: Page. You know, like years ago, you throw something on your website and you forget like how <laughs> much time you spend. Wow. That's great that that's on website.
0: Oh, um, so I have a question for you, Adina, which is, how does it, what did you notice or how did it feel to hear that read back to you? Because I know when there's things I've written in the past and then I hear it, it kind of has a different, it it has a different way to feeling to it.
2: Yeah, it kind of, it, it was very beautiful. It actually took me back to that first night. You like, when you read it, I was like imagining, like I remember what it was like. I remember opening the door. I remember knocking on the doors. Um, and I remember I used to give talks and my talks were solely focused Uh, not assuming the needs of our neighbors. And now Mm -hmm. you know what we've done has grown so much, Um, but it really started by that that one ideology of just, hey, we need to stop assuming we know what our neighbors need, what the most vulnerable communities need. We walk in and we're like, here's what it's really powerful to listen to.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So can you tell us a little bit about where the organization is today? Like what are some of the initiatives that are happening today?
2: So I'll tell you, um, basically, that's how um, that's how it got started, right? Joseph, what you read, that's basically um, how our story got started. And what I noticed was I became kind of like the sock celebrity on campus, right? I'd be asked to speak at synagogues, churches, college classrooms about the socks that we were collecting. And then I would ask these audiences that I was speaking to two questions. I would say, raise your hand if you've ever given money Food or clothing to someone in need. Now, anyone listening to this, think about that. You're probably raising your hand now. Then I would say, who here can tell me the name of one pe- one person experiencing homelessness? And almost no one could raise their hand. There was this massive disconnect of people who were donating, giving back to their neighbors, and them actually knowing the people who were receiving these items, receiving these donations. So, my senior year of college, I brought. 50 of my college classmates and 50 people living in local homeless shelters to have dinner side by side, just kind of like a closing project. I thought Knock, Knock, Give a Sock wasn't going to go anywhere after college. It was just a little college project. And by the end of the dinner, I had college students saying, Adina, we can't tell who lives in a home, who's our college classmate, and who lives in a shelter. They were meeting moms who had three kids who couldn't afford childcare, Dads who got out of prison couldn't get jobs afterwards. People working minimum wage jobs, but that doesn't get you out of the shelter system. And all of a sudden homelessness had a name and a face and a story to it. And that's when I wanted Knock Knock Give a Sock to become my full-time job. And I actually, that's when I made our mission statement. um, Knock Knock Give a Sock's mission is to humanize homelessness one sock at a time by turning transactions, the donations of socks into these interactions, into these meet your neighbor dinners. So the way I like to phrase it is the meat and potatoes of what Knock Knock Give a Sock does, is engage communities in collecting socks. And then afterwards, we bring those people who donated the socks and people receiving them to have dinner side by side. And that's big picture what Knock Knock Give a Sock does. Um, Meredith, to answer your question uh, in terms of what Knock Knock Give a Sock does today, we have four buckets to our organization. Uh, bucket number one is our sock bucket. We basically distribute around half a million socks a year while hiring people living in local homeless shelters to help us distribute those socks through our Socks as Job program. (laughs) The second pillar are these meet your neighbor lunches and dinners, which we do primarily with corporate companies like JP Morgan, Salesforce, Blackstone. We get these companies to collect socks in their offices. And then afterwards, we bring their employees and people living in local homeless shelters to have dinner side by side. Uh, The third bucket of our organization is our two community events that we do. One is our Happy Holiday Carnival, which is a carnival for over 400 kids living in local homeless shelters with Santa, bouncy houses, gift giveaways, you name it, we do it. Uh, And the second community event is our Woodstock Music Festival, where we bring three artists living in homes and three artists living in shelters to perform on stage side by side. And the last pillar is really our education pillar or bucket. I go back and forth saying bucket and pillar but, um, <laughs> before fourth bucket, because that's how I started uh, is this education pillar where we wrote a set of children's books on homelessness. And we invite schools to come in and learn about homelessness at our offices. That's terrific. You have a lot going
1: oh, on. And so incredible. Uh, so Meredith asked about where you are today. I'm going to back up a little bit, my dear, and ask about how you got started, because you obviously had the heart and spirit and wherewithal to start passing out sandwiches in New York City, right? So I'm wondering where that initiative came from. Was that an invitation from a friend or did you grow up in your family being of service? Where did that idea mm. come from?
2: I think it's a mix of a whole lot of things. It started with, um, I was a Jewish club on campus that had a sandwich making event. They called it like speed dating sandwich making event um, in like the Jewish Hillel on campus. And then we had all of these extra sandwiches. So instead of, we brought most of them to the shelter, but then some of them I was like, I live in New York City. I'll just hand them out in the street with a couple of friends. Um, in terms of my background in general, my dad was in, in the nonprofit space. Uh, he ran a nonprofit for children and adults with special needs. Uh, I think it's, I think more than anything else. So if I'm really being honest with myself, It was less about the giving back and more about a real obsession with talking to strangers. Mm -hmm. So it kind of didn't matter if you were like (laughs) a Starbucks barista or my neighbor on the street or the person sitting next to me on the subway. If you were near me, there's a good chance we're going to have a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know, the Jewish yenta in me. That's what it was. (laughs) I think I just like talking to everyone. So I think that's what the root of it came from. And I think perhaps my exposure to children and adults with special needs and I grew up having play dates you know it was very, it was like the norm my dad would be meeting with with a child's parents so I would be playing with kids who had Down syndrome or autism like that was just like I you know I was constantly in that space so I think the fear of the other or the fear of someone that was different mm-hmm. than me I think I had less sensitivity mm-hmm. to that or less mm-hmm. fear around that so I think that plus the combo of lo- Loving to talk to strangers, kind of made me the perfect person to face. Mm-hmm.
1: So Meredith, basically, our guest today has never waited for permission. Never. We might have to rebrand what we're doing here. <laughs> it's actually really
2: interesting. When I was at NYU, there was a group on campus that really focused on on poverty studies. <laughs> and when I first thought about this "meet your neighbor" dinner idea. Reached out to them. I really wanted their support. This is my first time I was a college student who was about to bring 50 people living in local homeless shelters to the college campus to dine with 50 people living in shelters. Like, yeah, I wanted some professional support in that space. Mm-hmm. I tried having meetings, I tried knocking on doors. No one would speak with me. I finally got a meeting, I think, with someone who was pretty low down on the totem pole in that space. She listened to me. We had a meeting. She sent me an email afterwards saying what we think you're doing is exploitive to people who are experiencing homelessness, right? By bringing students in college to have dinner with people who are experiencing homelessness. They thought it was an exploitive experience. And I was, I was caught, right? Like here are the professionals. Mm -hmm. But I also was talking to people living in homeless shelters who were like, wait, wait, you're saying that like your group of people and my group from the shelter are going to eat the same food. Like, yes, yes, we want that because so many times they're served food and they feel like they're being served, like they're beneath. So when you bring two groups together that are eating the same food, connecting the same way, instead of being served, we're actually doing the opposite of exploitation. But anyways, I remember I got that email and I cried and I freaked out. And then I spoke to someone who's working in a homeless shelter and was like, let's freaking go, let's do this. And we also worked with some student government that gave us like very little money to put on a dinner for a hundred people. So I remember the night before I like had my friends like chopping up salads and like making like brownie mixes. And I had like 20 friends over just trying to cook dinner for a hundred people. It was wild. And then I remember uh, three years later, as I like finally dove into knock my give a Sock as a full-time job. I think I wrote a pretty drunken email in response to that email. <laughs> and ironically, that same group on campus, I think without ever even putting it together two years after re- wrote that email, had nominated me as like a social entrepreneur of the year, along with the guy who put together the dinner with me who had been working in a shelter. So the irony is I think we live in a culture that it's good to be sensitive but not without talking to the people who are gonna be affected. We cannot be making decisions for other communities that we're gonna be working with because we're trying to be sensitive. We have to be talking to those communities. I think it actually goes exactly back to that original, like, I thought I was giving out sandwiches. I thought that's what people wanted. They told me socks, right? And I think it all ties into this concept of, even when it comes to trying to protect a community, we need to be talking to the community Mm
1: -hmm. and we need to
2: be doing temperature checks and no one should be making decisions for another community based on what they Think might be the most culturally sensitive thing to do. We need to be talking.
0: Oh, uh, I think that's such a beautiful yes. I'm just going to leave some pause because. So I went to your dinner. I went to one of your dinners, and I I brought a friend, and I sat at a table with three gentlemen who all lived on the same floor. And what was so beautiful was um, the sixth floor. There were like ten people in that group from the sixth floor, and they all had each other's backs, and it was really cool to have see. How tight of a community they had become, but one of the gentlemen sitting at the table I was talking to was incarcerated and had a pretty rough time in the prison system, and he had talked about his journey. and i and he was really doing a lot to pull himself out of that place, and he was learning how to cook and all these things. And uh, his story was was very compelling. And I said to him, "I'm sorry." you experienced all of that. And he looked at me and he goes, you don't need to be sorry for me. I'm glad all of that happened to me. Mm, mm. Cause it's got to me, it got me to where I am today. And it it was a humble check for me. It was, I, and I, and that is, that's just one little example of the importance of having the conversations.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that, Meredith. That is so important. What I'm really resonating with that you said earlier, Adina is, the email that you got from that organization on campus that said, this feels or sounds like exploitation. And what I'm noticing in myself is that there have been so many times when people have said to me, oh, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't feel right. You shouldn't be doing that, right? Which is essentially what the email was saying. You shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. that. And we're so tempted to stop in that moment and say, you know what? I guess I, I really didn't know what I was doing or maybe this isn't right. Or maybe I should go back to sandwiches. Not that there's anything wrong with sandwiches, right? <laughs> um, what I'm noticing about you and your personality is that you cried, which feels super healthy to me. And then you checked in with somebody else and said, what do you think of this? And then thank God for that person. Mm-hmm. The person working at the homeless shelter that said, let's do this. Right. So I just want to acknowledge that sometimes, listener, we have those ideas, those dreams, those passions, and somebody comes knocking on our door knock, knock, give us a knock, and it says, No, you shouldn't be doing that. And we stop. And what we're learning today from this beautiful human being is that we don't necessarily have to stop and we don't have to listen. Go ahead, Adina.
2: Yeah. And I'll build upon that. Right. So now I'm telling you the first story, and you, can, you know, I have a bucket list of rejections that pile up <laughs> every single day. But what's interesting is, right? So the first story I told you about rejection was you're exploiting. You shouldn't be doing this. This isn't like, this isn't good for other people. Right. And obviously, I checked in with the community and was like, they're dying for this. And if I go a month without doing an event, I get tons of calls from shelters. I need to make sure I have companies lined up to do dinners because I will, I will get like, I will get dinged from these shelters saying, hey, when's the next one? But also there was someone who I really respected Um, from the corporate world who I met at one of these impactful give back events. And I remember he like worked pretty high up at some corporate company and was on, he was like the president of some other nonprofit shelter organization. He agreed to have coffee with me. I was like, whoa, like, Mm -hmm. okay. And he basically looked at me and said, this is like two, three years ago. And he's like, well- what you're doing. So like what you're making people feel good for a night? That's mm, great. But it doesn't really mm. do much if you're not actually getting them a house, getting them a job. So like, why should people give you money? Essentially. He was like, You're a smart, like clearly capable woman. And essentially, <laughs> in short, I think you're wasting your time by making people from homeless shelters feel good for a night. Right. So that was a whole nother night of waterfall tears. The mm, idea mm-hmm. you really have to build up resilience. Um, and I think it's important as a leader to Change and be open to change to make sure you're not like gun-ho stubborn about what you're doing. That's the one thing. Whenever I'm like at a panel and and there's someone really smart speaking, the bigger que- the biggest question I always ask is when do you take advice? And when do you stay resilient and not because you can't be a leader who doesn't take advice, and you also can't be a leader who crumbles against yeah. it. And that I think is the biggest thing to figure out.
0: Mm.
1: Well, uh... Yeah, Meredith, it- I'm so sorry to say we only have another two minutes for this episode because <laughs> you and I both have other things that are scheduled, but do you have <laughs> any final questions from Adina? Because there's so much wisdom at heart and soul that she's sharing with us, but what do you have that we can end with?
0: Well, I, I want to say as someone who attended the event and who has only met you a couple of times in person that you have left an impact with me personally, to where I want to figure out what I can do more of. And I also witnessed sitting at that table that by you also created a networking event for people, right? So if we were to go back to that business person that you're sitting Mm -hmm. at the table Mm -hmm. with there, you are providing opportunities for people to grow, to use their talents and their skills, to find the jobs, to connect with people that will be able to get them to those places And that in itself is huge. Mm. That's huge. So I just commend you on the work that you're doing. And I am here to support.
1: Mm.
2: Thank you.
1: And that person, that business person that you were having coffee with, I wish I had been there and thought to answer with you and for you that you're also changing perceptions, which I think is what Meredith was speaking to about the networking of that you're changing perceptions on both sides of the circle. And that is priceless. That could be more priceless than giving a homeless person a house. Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, my dear. Where can people find you? We're going to put it in the show notes, but please let us know before we say our goodbyes.
2: Thank you. You could check out our website, kkgs.org. If you have any little ones, there's a link there to buy books to teach your families about homelessness. Um, there's also, uh, an area on the website for you to reach out to us. If you want to set up a sock drive in your community, or you want to get your office involved in setting up a meet your neighbor dinner, you could just reach out to us there. And lastly, we do open up once a month, a meet your neighbor dinner for anyone in any industry to come purchase a ticket and join us for a meet your neighbor dinner. Uh, and that happens monthly. So if you follow us on Instagram, you'll see a link in our bio where you can purchase tickets for the next meet your neighbor dinner. The next one is February 28th, next Tuesday.
1: Mm. Um, if
2: you want to come and then um, every month, as soon as the first, like that one ends, the, the next one's posted. So follow us on Instagram at knock, knock, give a sock, no spaces, no numbers, no dashes, just knock, knock, give a sock. <laughs>
1: I love it. You are amazing. Thank you so much. And listener, we appreciate you. Thank you for being here. And please, we pray and trust that this episode inspired you to open up your front door, walk outside and meet your neighbor. Thanks for being here.
0: Bye. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of Are You Waiting for Permission? If you like what you heard, please like, comment, subscribe, and leave us a review. We would sure appreciate it. Also, we want to give a special shout out to Amy Shelley and Gary Grundy of High Fiction for letting us use their music in this podcast. All right, my friends, until next week. Bye.